I'm in here with Casey Creed today. Hello, Casey. Oh, you're all back from vacation. Ew. Our friend Julia is taking a while on the news. Yeah, I think she's doing like a, a recap thing, so we got a while. Yeah. Who messed with the stand? I hate this. This is terrible. It's bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Avi's not back for like another day or two. I think he and his kids are still camping, um, which is fun. No, 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 no. Mrs. Premack uh, hates camping, as far as I know. Um, yeah, I, kn I knew them. Yeah, I knew them when I was in college um, with Avi. Uh, I knew her, too. We uh, I actually had more classes with her, funnily enough. Um, but Avi was like the more aggressive uh, yish, so we kind of spent more time together. And, um, why is this like this? Ugh, I hate it. There, it's fine, question mark? Uh, but yeah, obviously, like, way more of a, of a like, musical judentum, you know, primitivist, get out there, go camping, get jacked kind of guy. Um, which I, you know, sure, okay, cool. I'm lazy and metropolitan. Uh, but what'd you do for New Year's, Casey? Oh, I love it. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with spending time with your family. I think that's a good way to do it. Ow, my back hurts. Um, yeah. No, that's cool. Um, I like the haircut, by the way. I haven't seen, like, one of those fade cut sides since I was a kid. Did I just say fade cut side? Side cut fade. That's what I said the first time. Um, but yeah, no. Casey, how old are you? Oh, God. That's right. Um, well, no, it's just that Avi and I are, are mummies. Well, Avi's more of a daddy, but... No? Okay, well, I, I thought it was funny. Uh, but, you know, Dallas was good. I got the condo thing sorted out. Um, I had to, like, take in, uh, transcripted the thing where um, I was kind of politely informed through the grapevine that I would not be getting this job. Um, which sucks because I'd never seen the, uh, the actual chat because it, it was like a group chat thing with, like, part of the board. And I saw the part where they were like, or I heard of the part where they were like, you know, we want an American with government experience and, you know, Oz Cohen on the LOB has experience with, with STEM, but more of an economist, more of an administrator. You know, we want an American, but not this American. Right. Yeah, exactly. Correct. Um, basically, they wanted me for my demographics. Yeah. Um, and I had the wrong everything else. Um, so I was, I was last pick, basically. Uh, plus, and I didn't know this part, there was a whole section where they were just dunking on me horribly. Like, uh, there are a couple stories of me being just like an oafish dullard in the LOB. And nothing bad. Um, but we had two office assistants on our floor and I learned the name of one of them wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Not the whole time. Uh, just for like nine of the 13 months I was there. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, um, I found out when I bought her. Okay. So a bunch of people thought like, oh, you know, Oz is from rural Texas and, and out there they like to do, you know, nicknames and stuff. They're very casual like that. You know, that's just how Oz is. That's what they do. Um, yeah, I was, yeah. So, um, I, we have a, a holiday party, a little Yule party, as I like to call it. And, um, I, I get, I get this, I get our office assistants, um, these cute little like desk placards and, you know, they're, they're these little printed things that have like, they're like a little foresty thing, a little tree that's like holding up their, their names on them. They're really cute. They're fun. Like they've got little monkeys and stuff in them. I love them. Um, I think hers had a, a sloth in it. Or a sloth, depending on where you're from. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I give this, and, and this girl looks at me, and she just goes, 
You've been calling me Janine for nine months. My name is Jacqueline. And I immediately just go like, oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and she's really cool about it after that because I, I make like a total idiot out of myself and just like try to not hug her as I'm apologizing. And I immediately get her a placement desk thing and I get her like a, a little thing to like put next to it that says not Janine. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she's really cool about it. But like, it's this story that like hangs out in the LOB. that's just like, I'm an idiot. Yeah. Um, but so that was in there and I'm talking to the, the residence committee gal. And she looks at this this chat exchange about this, and she just goes, "Yeah, I, I can see why you you didn't think you were gonna get this job. It's fine. Don't worry about it." <laughs> yeah, because I'm 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 I mean I'm not I promise I'm not stupid. It's just you know sometimes you act like a dumb oaf. It happens. Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh yeah, the Dallas thing was fun. So okay, so we're in the Tracy Preston building, right? The person who ran the talk was Jack Preston, which was pretty cool. Grandson of Tracy Preston, yes. Um, what's funny, he, the, his, a lot of his family, a lot of the Prestons are like old public radio people. And he's got this, uh, you know, hey, uh, nice to meet you, Oz. I'm really glad to have you here. And I think we're going to have a, a really good discussion that everybody's going to enjoy. He's got like that kind of cadence. Um, it's just like his normal speaking voice. And it's great. I, I love, he's, oh, it's just great listening to him talk. It's very soothing. Um, but yeah, uh, what else, what else, what else? Um, oh, yeah, the black eye. So, <laughs> um, I'm not going to talk about this on the air, I don't think. Um, I don't know, who's editing this one for this week? Cool. Avi, if you're hearing this, uh, don't put this in the episode. Um, so yeah, after the talk, uh, I don't have a whole lot to say, because like, it's mostly like, you know, broadcast. It, it's about like science communication and stuff, but it's like from a very like television and radio perspective. And you know, obviously, I'm not a, a television or radio person. I'm this. This doesn't count. Um, <laughs> clearly, um, so I have like one cogent thing to say that's mostly just about how like you know AI is not going to be replacing your jobs anytime soon because the human brain's good at picking up fakes, blah blah blah, whatever. Um, the stand is still not where I want it. Um, but yeah. After the talk, though, it's it's catered, which is pretty good. Got some got some barbecue in me before I went to a, a New Year's Eve thing. Because, um, yeah, this was on New Year's Eve, which was cool. It was very fun. Cool way to spend the evening. Um, but this guy walks up to me. And I will admit, like, I I can be kind of cynical about people sometimes. And I try to, like, kind of push that, that red flag detection down because I think that could be kind of crappy. Um, and uh, he um, fixed this real quick. And he, he kind of comes up to me and he's like, yeah, you know, you're at that Mineral Hill, huh? And I'm like, yes, sir. We're, you know, doing a lot of good work down there. I'm just, you know, newly appointed joint projects director. Pretty excited about what we're going to get done this year and in the coming years. And he uh, looks at me and he goes, well, you know, I think it says a lot that uh, they replace a Chinese woman with a Jew. And... Well, yeah, that was the first thing I thought, because, like, yeah, how old is this guy? Because he's, like, 60, 65. He's not that old to be talking like that. Um, No, thankfully, he didn't say anything, like, on its own, super, super, super bigoted, um, which was a small blessing. But, I mean, he said things that were bigoted, but he didn't, like, you know, bust out any golden oldies or anything. Yeah, I'm just going to put this back. Oh, get on there. No. What's this? There. 
I think. I think it's fixed. Maybe. Um, so yeah, that happens. And I'm just kind of like, okay, this isn't my show. This isn't my thing. I can't, I can't tell this guy off, even though I want to. Um, and I just say, well, sir, you know, if it, it, I know there are people who worry about how, you know, Mineral Hill is, is too foreign or whatever, but if it makes you feel any better, there's plenty of Americans there too. So I don't think you have anything to worry about. And, uh, and he kind of looks at me and I say, and you know, if it helps at all, I, you know, I grew up in a reclamation community in Texas. I was, I was born in Fort Worth and yeah, like I'm, I'm a, a yokel. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, but he says, you know, that's the problem with you, you reclamation people. Y'all are just a bunch of socialists who think you know better than everybody. And, you know, what we need to do is go back to the way things used to be when things were great. And I just kind of like, I'm not going to have a debate about economics with this dude. Like, I just got done talking to a residence committee, you know, chairwoman who, if she had been a landlord, would have probably sued me for the full cost of my two-year lease. Um, I I just, I'm just not going to talk about how, like, we're not all dying on an overheated planet because of yeah it's just not worth it it's not the right place and i'm not going to convince this dude so i just i get a little huffy i got my barbecue in hand i want to go eat you know and i just say well you know i guess i'm sorry you're not going to die poor and living in trash (laughs) yeah no i that was not the nicest way i could have worded that no it it was a little rude on my part. Yeah, I, I was, I escalated it somewhat. I also don't blame myself for doing that, because you know that guy can get bent. Um, but but instantly though, he he immediately just punches me right in the face, and uh, you know, thankfully he's like sixty sixty five and doesn't just shatter my my orbital or anything. But I get a pretty good shiner. He got pulled out of the crowd, and uh, you know, I had that moment of like, oh, this is it. But I'm like you know, it's not my show. And also like, I want to go back home tomorrow. I really, I do not want to risk spending the night in a Dallas County jail cell because I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but it, it, you know, it is what it is. It's a little sore. It's fine. It's whatever. Um, he's just some goobus. Yeah, no, I mean, those people are still out there. Um, it's, it's weird to think about, but like, you know, it's like those people in Washington who talk about us being, you know, foreign whatevers. And it's just like, you, you get that, you know, we're helping, like the reason why things are better in America is because they're better in, you know, Bolivia. Right. Like that's, yeah. Um, I, I try not to think too much about the motivations of those kinds of people. Cause I, I kind of know what they are and I just don't want that in my brain. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's dumb and atavistic and silly, and I think they kind of know, like, they're on the way out. Yeah. I mean, those people have been on the way out for, you know, 50 years, maybe maybe 40 or 30, but a while. Um, but they're, they're more and more on the way out, yeah. Your grandmother is one of them? How does she? Like, she, how is anyone alive who's like, oh, you're non, you're non-binary. That's weird. Like, 
I literally, like, I, that was, yeah, that's crazy, crazy. No, I don't care if she's not that bad, it's still pretty gross. Yeah, I'm glad your parents are cool about it, but, like, yikes. Yeah, wow, buddy. No, I, I totally get you. I, I think, um, oh, hey, oh, that's the light from Julia. Hey, we gotta wrap up. Uh, can you get the music going? Yes. Where's my water? Oh God! Play, play the music. I'm gonna get my water real quick. Yes, play the music. Go, go, go! Play the music. It is nice to block the doorway. It is nice to go to jail. There are nicer ways to do it, but the nice ways always fail. It isn't nice. It isn't nice. You told us once, you told us twice But if that is freedom's price, we don't mind Last I looked across the street To the glowing light of the friendly municipal mercantile The time was 4.11 in the afternoon On January 2nd, 2059 Happy New Year At the westernmost point in the central time zone Here in the loving heart Greater Century County, which of course means it's time for me to say good afternoon and warmest greetings, listeners local and far away, and welcome to Radio Mineral Hill. This is Oz Cohen coming to you from the corner of Love and Century in a somewhat wet and chilly Mineral Hill, Texas, sheltered by the warm embrace of our mothership, the Tracy Preston Communications Office. I am not overseen today by Avi Primick, who is still out doing New Year's stuff and will be back tomorrow, day after, I'm not sure. Uh, but I am instead overseen by a stand-in producer, our very good child, uh, the inimitable Casey Krieg. We were let in today for our radio listening audience with a news break from the austere and respectable Julia Arenas, who will still be visiting us throughout the afternoon and into the evening. Now then... If you should have a tuner, it is, of course, provably set to 99.2 FM. And if you are one of our tuned-in and turned-on listeners, it is time to heave to, trice up, mill about smartly throughout the premises, making certain every radio in sight is set to Century County's favorite station for music, news, and local events. And in so doing, continue to do whatever you must to ensure this remains the case in perpetuity. Today, of course, we are having our podcast episode where we take a portion of one of our episodes out of the week and we package it for a uh, an audience outside of Mineral Hill, outside of Century County, uh, for anyone to download or stream or some as yet unknowable third way to listen to this kind of content. And if you are a repeat listener, I would like to thank you for your returned custom. It's great to have you back. If you're a new listener, uh, welcome. I hope you enjoy our fledgling program here. We're uh, still getting our feet, still kind of working on it some. But uh, I hope you I hope you enjoy the casual atmosphere that we're bringing to you, the convivial, friendly attitude we have. Today is especially loose, as though our first episode wasn't bad enough. We're all kind of writing a, a little bit of New Year's fun here. And speaking of... What we're going to do today is, very much in the spirit of that New Year's fun, uh, we are going to take a look back 
We're going to get in our collective way back machines. We're going to we're going to uh, travel back to the early part of this century and 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 going to find some stuff in the uh, latter part of last century uh, that looks forward, that makes predictions about today and uh, what people of the past thought the world of their tomorrow would be like. And if that is something that entices you, that you find uh, possibly entertaining, I, I hope you enjoy today's offering. I personally find it enjoyable exercise. I think one, it's um, it's a lot more useful of a uh, of a way to look back and find out what people were really worried about or really hopeful about. Because um, you know, you can just ask someone, "Well, what do you what do you hope from the future? What do you hope is what will happen?" And you know, anybody will give you kind of a boilerplate answer: "Oh, more peace, more prosperity, uh, more space travel. I don't know, whatever." But when you you go back in time and you look at what people um, hoped for the future, you see things that are radically different from their present or that are extensions of their present. And what you see are are uh, extrapolations of their uh, of what they like about the world they live in, of what they worry about the world they live in, and what they fear um, very much about the people around them. Um, which is, I think, always kind of neat to see. I think it's kind of a cool way to examine the human moment. And we're going to do some of that today, but we're also just going to enjoy uh, a little bit of, of you know, a speculative, well, futurism. I was going to say speculative fiction, but that's science fiction. That's a little more spaceship type stuff. But a little speculative futurism about the present. So we're going to do that. But first off, we're going to take our, uh, our little quick break for a station identifier here. Uh, if you are one of our podcast listeners, you're going to hear a either a weird cut or maybe something is going to be cut in here. I'm not sure. Avi does the editing and isn't here. Um, I think we're going to start doing some stuff where we maybe read off some messages in these little cuts for some local color. We'll see. I don't know. So if you're a podcast listener, you're either going to get a weird edit or something else. I don't know. And here that comes. Back in a second. Hi there, I'm Oz Cohen, host of Radio Mineral Hill and Joint Projects Director of the Mineral Hill International Research Facility. That's right, the exact same one founded in 2026 that your uncle who thinks we faked the Mars landing keeps telling you is the heart of a globalist conspiracy. Are you worried about the future? Do you ever wonder why the world of today doesn't look like the dire predictions made by people in the 2010s? Do you maybe just want to know what we're up to in Century County? Well then Radio Mineral Hill is the show for you! Every week, we take a little time so people can get to know us, find out just what it is we do here, and how we're working together to make the world a better place. Tune in to Radio Mineral Hill, available basically wherever you get podcasts, for a lighthearted look at our community, our history, and I'd like to hope, a reason to keep it posy about the future. And we're back. That was some great content that was in there. I sure hope you went... It was probably just a hard cut. I, I, I don't know what Avi's going to do. Um, I'm going to find out with you. Anyway, uh, so the stuff I've got here is from uh, one of the older parts of the internet, from some of the old crevasses. Uh, so it's not in the greatest of shape. Uh, it is from the 20th anniversary of a security company, uh, and they're doing a, a look forward to 2050, but there's some stuff kind of floating around that general period. So kind of the more or less the present moment. Um, now there are two things I want to hit on, uh, really quickly before we get rolling. One, um, a lot of their predictions are, are pretty 
mundane, okay stuff. This is really professional-grade stuff. Uh, um, because they are a security company, some of their predictions are, I'm going to go ahead and say, just reprehensible. Just highlighting a, an absolutely ghoulish worldview, for sure. Uh, the other thing is that... Um, you know, you can definitely go back and you can find all manner of stuff that is just, just goofy, just silly. Um, and that's, you know, stuff from like the 1900s where people thought we would have like uh, literal like underwater buses pulled by whales. Um, and I will say like that's useful in its own way. Like that's a reflection of a perspective on, on science that where, you know, in, in the early 1900s, you know, late 1800s science was relatively kind of new if you stop and think about it the industrial revolution was in a lot of ways still kind of ongoing sort of wrapping up uh especially in america and you had very much this i'm gonna go ahead and say like technologicalism not really a word uh but this view that like science and technology could do anything because we were constantly finding out new stuff we were constantly seeing that the world was uh, radically different from the way that had been previously assumed to be and you know ergo everything we're learning must have applications that are exponentially further reaching than everything we've learned before so surely we're gonna teach whales to pull buses or whatever and in some areas that's true i mean sure you know the um earliest forms of computational mathematics did lead to computers which lead which led to, um, you know, artificial intelligence, which led to, you know, kind of the revolution in the world that we've seen over the last 50 years. Definitely. That's a totally thing that happened that, that had its foundation in mathematics and in concepts from the 1800s. Sure. But again, no whale buses, right? So, yeah. And, and again, you can go back and you can find stuff that is, that's just goofy and buckwild. And I, and I, I would do that. Like, kind of especially like italian futurism is just buck wild um i also don't know that it's it's that useful outside of entertainment um especially as it relates to kind of the present moment uh, it helps that you know a lot of people who are making predictions who are alive around the year 2000 and and around you know the into the 2010s a, a lot of them are people who expected to be alive today um some of them expected to be immortal and have their brains uploaded into computers I sure hope none of them tried to do that. Um, that's going to get kind of morbid. Let's not <laughs> let's not go down that line. Anyway, another thing I want to talk about in this is that uh, the the thing I'm going to use kind of as the spinoff for this whole spiel is a contrast that you see a lot of when people talk about the uh, the possible future in the past, um, and it's in these two sections here. By the year 2050, sea levels will have risen by a few dozen centimeters, flooding coastal regions to abandonment. Which, okay, yeah, from the perspective of 2017, double check in there, uh, that's true. That's that's correct. Um, you know, clearly that hasn't happened. But if you were going off the assumption that what was happening in 2017 would continue happening, then yes, because this was a time before anyone with power to do anything was taking geoengineering in a very serious way. And it was when our species' carbon footprint was only increasing. And, you know, there you could argue that, oh, the, the rate of growth was slowing, depending on how you looked at it. But that doesn't, uh, that doesn't count. 
it's also one of those things that's tricky because again that prediction wasn't wrong even if that's not how things turned out because it's assuming nothing will have had changed the verb tenses are hard okay um because it's a reflection of the realistic anxieties of that time and the pretty well-grounded anxieties of that time at the same time there are people alive today right now who argue the last century of modern climatology is bunk because we're not living in that devastated flooded inhospitable dystopia dystopia i i did not say dystopia whatever word you heard it was dystopia (laughs) um Now, one might argue that's because most of the latter half of the last century has involved massive amounts of labor and capital going into actively combating that exact dystopian outcome. But, you know, details. Eh. But yeah, the the core prediction being made there is things are going to be pretty bad, and especially on the coasts. At the same time, on the same page, is this prediction. New York City in the year 2050 just might be the futuristic paradise that we've all been waiting for, packed with enhanced humans, augmented reality, green skyscrapers, private energy, and so much more. Okay, so keep in mind that when this was written in the 2010s, they were having to pump water out of New York City to keep it from flooding because of rising sea levels. That was the thing that was happening, and it was becoming more of a threat to New York City because of climate change. Now, the thing being highlighted here is that a lot of people um, in places like America and in a lot of um, the more fluent parts of Europe, and even so in Asia, uh, was that climate change, as far as being a refugee problem, a displacement problem, that was for poor people. And that wealthy people, your millionaires, your billionaires, your 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 people who had a, a hope of, of aspirational growth, oh, those people would be fine. What threatened them with climate change was people who were poor coming to live with them because they needed somewhere to be, not their own places that they live becoming unlivable. Now, that's ridiculous because I don't care if you're a billionaire, if you live in midtown Manhattan and it's under four feet of water you don't live in midtown Manhattan anymore. Um, what I think, and, I, and and you are welcome to, I think, look at this contrast of poor cities will be a source of refugees and rich cities will be these green, arcology-having havens sheltered from the effects of climate change. Um, you can take from that contrast what you will. The way I read it is this, is that in this kind of you know, capitalist mindset that people had at the time. Because I am because I don't think this is that, oh, you know, the, forget these people. The, b- people in Bolivia can't afford to eat food. <laughs> Build a wall. I, I don't think that was what these people were thinking at all. I think that's unfair. And I'm not going to say that. But I think these people had a mindset of because we're in a place like New York, because we have this sort of world that we inhabit, we have the power to maintain it. We're not a people who can be victimized by things. And also, to be really honest, if you are in a place where your main export is capital, like New York City, um, you are going to not see yourself as a place that will suffer the effects of industry, that will suffer the effects of that. Because a lot of people did not see climate change as a result of capital. They saw it as a result of industry, and they thought of industry as something that happens somewhere else to other people and that's obviously not true you know when you had in the 2020s 
millions of Americans in perfectly affluent communities and also just normal people being displaced within their own country, that kind of got broken. But, you know, that hadn't hadn't quite happened yet. Hadn't quite happened by then. So, yeah, just keep in mind that this is coming from a certain worldview. Now, that's not to say there aren't things in this 2050 prediction or 2050s prediction I don't like. Uh, the first one that I, I like a lot is the um, when they talk about the green city, the uh, green skyscraper thing. Um, now, if you want to see some really cool art stuff that I like, I have a couple prints of this stuff in my home. Um, I'm not going to show those, but you should go and search for uh, solar punk art from back then. It's gorgeous stuff, and a lot of it is uh, visions of the future, but with kind of these antiquated aesthetics sort of layered on top or under it or however you want to think about it. And it's a beautiful vision of what I will admit I think could be our future for sure, but a lot of people around 2000, 2010, 2020 kind of thought was was going to happen with, like very close, like within like 2040, 2050, like that time frame. Now, um, I'm not an architect. I'm not a, a civil engineer. But I do know that there is a, a point with a building that you go, well, okay, this thing is, is kind of old. It's a, I don't know what's old for a building. I'm going to say 100 years old. Um, this building is 100 years old. It's getting pretty expensive to maintain as far as labor and capital goes. Sure, but we can keep doing upgrades on it. We can keep doing renovations on it for a while longer. We're not really to a phase yet where, you know, a majority of our cities have been torn down and replaced with terrace-scraped terrace buildings with, you know, green walls and rooftop gardens, and that hasn't happened at all. Obviously, some of that has happened, but that's not quite the same as these sprawling, green, arcology-having, you know, nature cities that look like forests with skyscrapers in them. That's, you know, not quite the same exactly we're getting there i think i think that's inevitable but it's not like we're gonna tear down you know boston and make boston 2 the sequel to boston this time it's green no i think also um one thing you run into with that with the arcology thing is something i'm gonna hit on in a little bit but this kind of i think misunderstanding or or strange ideal of what they thought people would be living in especially in the the uh, urbanized industrialized parts of the world um you see predictions uh and america's a really good example because america when a lot of these are being written was going through urbanization of people moving from rural rural areas to urban areas and um you have predictions of how many americans will be living in cities by you know the, the middle part of the 21st century that range from about two-thirds to literally 90 percent and that's a pretty broad, pretty broad range. Obviously, now it's more about like it's on the two thirds end of that scale. But the thing about that is that there's never a consideration of where you're going to get the food aside from, oh, we'll have vertical farming in our city. So we'll just plop an arcology down in the middle of New York and that's where all the food will come from. And in some places, vertical farming is a thing, but obviously that's not where we get all of our food from. Uh, if you are much into agriculture at all, uh, you know that, you know, most of your food doesn't come from as far away as food used to come from back in the early part of this century. It's uh, more likely that it comes from a passive greenhouse complex 
uh, you know, which is a technology that was, I mean, from the 2010s that was just getting rolling, which is why a lot of these predictions don't take into consideration. Uh, there was this guy in Nebraska who was like, I'm going to grow citrus fruits in Nebraska. Now, if you've never been to Nebraska, uh, I don't blame you. <laughs> I'll say that. It's a little, it's a little Nebraska, but it is not a place that you would want to grow citrus fruits. But, but these greenhouses that we have, um, that this guy designed, were just a shelter with a big trench that he buries a pipe under and then he buries the the pipe and then he plants stuff and it creates a climate under this passive greenhouse where you can grow basically whatever you want and you don't have to actively power you don't have to actively climate control it and that's why you know if you live in wisconsin uh you can get little tiny oranges you know get those uh get those mandarins which i will say for my part i ate like a whole bag of over the course of this weekend because i love them and i eat them standing over my sink like a crazed orangutan with some kind of eating disorder uh so if our if our program our broadcast our podcast is brought to you by anything it's me shoveling citrus fruits into my dumb mouth uh just almost compulsively (laughs) anyway Continuing, that's, you know, that kind of touches on the uh, the agricultural aspects of this. And I think uh, the biggest thing is that these people, in a lot of ways, didn't consider that we wouldn't have these massive, sprawling agri-industries that we had, you know, 40, 50 years ago, uh, which we're obviously better off not having. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I grew up in, in reclamation country, which I super duper did, but... You know, one of the predictions you don't see in all but the most dire of these is that, um, you know, bees might go extinct. And obviously bees didn't go extinct, but they were on track for it during this period when these predictions were being written. And I think a lot of people didn't think the reaction to that would be for a lot of the industrialized world to look at these all-powerful, unfathomably far-reaching corporations like, you know, Monsanto and Dole that were putting poisons literal poisons into the food supply that were using slave labor in in the third world and the reaction to them would be oh well we're just going to dismantle you and take your land and give it to you know small and mid-scale people to produce you know food with we're going to return that physical capital to the populace i don't really blame anyone for thinking that wasn't going to happen to the point they didn't even consider it. I, if you were around in the, you know, 2010s, you're not going to go, oh yeah, that's going to happen. So instead you're going to think, yeah, Monsanto is going to build a five block by five block, 200 story high vertical farm in the middle of New York to feed people. I, that probably seems, you know, way more likely to you than what actually happened. I don't blame you for being wrong on that one. Which, again, is the useful thing about this exercise, is you look back and you can see what people's worldview was. So, you know, that's fun. Um, What else? What's a good one here? Oh, this is good. This is always fun. Uh, Again, in the same line of this one. Um, but, 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 Yeah, packed with enhanced humans. Okay, so people back in the late, 1900s early 2000s 2000s that's the word that's the word that i wanted what's what's the 2000s 
Uh, but yeah, people back in the, the late 20th century, early 21st century thought that in the future, in today, today times, now times, uh, people would just be like, hey, I don't like my arm. I'm going to cut it off and get like a cool robot arm or I'm going to get, you know, cyborg eyes or whatever. And obviously that hasn't happened. And I I I think about that a lot, actually. And I, and I think the core of it is that people assumed that it would be as easy as getting a tattoo. Which, just logically, it's not. I, I will say of predictions that you see a lot of, that to me is one of the most baffling ones, is that people are going to just voluntarily swap out body parts for synthetic ones, which, no, <laughs> obviously not. Uh, now, what is different, though, and this is, I think, kind of in the, the vein of what they, I'm not going to say it's what they predicted, but it is, you know, where where... The prediction matches the shape of the future, if not the actual thing that's happened. Um, back, if you, okay, so let's say it's 2010. It's the year 2010, and you're 40 years old, and you have a you have a messed up knee that's really bad, and it hurts a lot. There's a little part of your knee under the kneecap, the patella. Casey, don't shake your head at me. You're 18. You haven't even taken anatomy. You've taken anatomy. Okay, well, grade me on this. So under your patella, right, there's a thing called the meniscus, okay? You're shaking your hand in the air, like maybe. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And now your meniscus, because of a birth defect, because of wear and tear, because of injury, can become damaged and or it can be worn away or just, you know, bad stuff can happen to it. Now, even in 2010, there's stuff they could do in it. They could take, uh, like, coxcomb from a chicken. I'm not joking. This is a thing people would do. They would take the little wiggly part of a chicken, or I guess a rooster, and inject it into your knee, which, okay, (laughs) sure. Uh, And obviously later on, there was stem cell therapy to have you not do that, because that's, my knee hurts just thinking about that, actually. Yikes. Anyway, (laughs) um, that's the thing people used to do. It's horrifying. Anyway, if for whatever reason you didn't get that that treatment, like let's say you lived in America back then and couldn't get medical care, um, your your knee could get messed up from the work. Like the actual, you know, bone and ligaments and all that could become messed up from the prolonged damage of that joint being messed up. Well, if you were just beyond repair, your doctor would go like, well, hey, look, you're 40. We can't give you a knee replacement because that thing's going to wear out in 20 years. And, you know, you still want to do like knee stuff. Um, so we're just going to give you a bunch of painkillers and try to try to hang on for like another 20 years. Because hopefully when you're 60, you're going to be less interested in moving. And also, you'll be dead by the time your knee wears out. Which, I mean, buck wild. Crazy to think about. Just nuts. But okay, sure, whatever. Well, instead, now, if your knee is super messed up or a part of your back or whatever is just really, really busted and not doing great. Uh, instead of your doctor saying, hey, you're too far gone for stem cells or an artificial meniscus. I looked to Casey for reinforcement on that word. Casey is nodding. Thank you. I, I couldn't do it without you. Um, we're, we're just going to give you a new knee. We're just going to replace it with a, a mechanical replacement. Now, the thing about a synthetic knee now versus, uh, I mean, back then they called them artificial, but it's probably a good you know thing to, to highlight there is that today's you know prostheses are much more durable they're much more biocompatible they don't 
cause damage to the surrounding body nearly as severely or in many cases at all. So if you're, you know, let's say you're 20 and you're, you know, you're a horrible accident, your knee's all wanged up. Well, don't worry, we just put a new one in there and you go to some physical therapy and you're fine. You just have a different kind of knee now. It's okay. Um, that wasn't an option back then. Now, you can call that human augmentation. I would just call that prosthetics. But, you know, I think that's kind of splitting hairs. That's kind of um, drilling down into a difference that I don't know is is that different. And again, I think it's an example of people in the past predicting uh, the approximate future. They're not... Obviously, there's some stuff you can do. You can get a, uh, an inductor on the behind your ear there if you want to have your uh, phone just directly go through your skull. Personally, I'm not a big fan of that. I can just get an earpiece. It's fine. <laughs> it looks a little dorky, but it's okay. I look like my grandpa with it, but I'm okay. It's just fine. So yeah, that's that's that one there. Now, one thing that a lot of people... Uh, did predict and i think it's because it was a lot closer than i think maybe even they gave it credit for but they predicted it would be a real thing was the prevalence of drones and self-driving cars now i think that's in large part because again like that technology was in development while a lot of this was being written um you had people as early as the year 2000 saying hey this is this is a technology that is coming that is going to affect how people not only work but can work um, I think at that point in time in history, something like 40% of jobs were in transportation. And obviously those were the first jobs to be replaced by self-driving cars, by autos. Um, but that wasn't, you know, the first generation of autos of, of truly robotic labor was just moving big, heavy stuff. But once autos really started becoming a thing throughout the 2010s and, you know, labor was being replaced, People were kind of getting a little wary because they knew what was coming. They knew that in, you know, however many years, human labor won't be able to compete in terms of capital. If it costs pennies on the dollar to pay an auto, or not, not pay an auto to do something, because you're not obviously paying the auto, but to maintain the auto doing that work, let's say, and it costs half a year's salary to buy that auto, well you're not going to have human employees anymore. You know, you're going to replace your entire restaurant with an auto to make food. You're going to replace your uh, delivery trucks with autos. You're going to replace your, um, you know, let's say you're running an office that does uh, bookkeeping or any kind of analysis like that, and you have access to an artificial intelligence, basically just another form of auto that can replace the human labor of dozens, if not hundreds of people for Again, the cost of the electricity and the computer, or in many cases, the server space to run that AI. Um, that's kind of the end of labor right there. And when the access to capital of the majority of your population is built on doing that sort of labor, is built on profit extraction, that's bad. And of course, a lot of people predicted in the 2020s there would be a, a pretty serious recession because of it. And that that's what happened. That's that's the thing. And and clearly, you know, if you're alive today and you you get a delivery, it's almost certainly not a human delivering it. It's it's a drone. It's an auto. You go out to the street and pick it up um, or it's putting a, a drop off for you. It's uh, it's a world that people, I think, very accurately predicted that, that a lot of forms of human labor would be made unnecessary and it was different in that 
in the past when old labor was replaced it was replaced with new labor with new human labor and when you start when the thing that is artificial and the thing that is synthetic is the labor itself and not the product or not the tools being used but you're actually removing the productivity from the equation yeah i <laughs> i don't know that's um we're going to have a whole episode on the development of autos and the, and kind of the progression of the last 50 years and sort of how um the IBRC helped spread autos and made them more available and kind of lobbied for the uh, the UBI i mean obviously we weren't the sole factor in that but yeah we're going to have an episode on that it's coming up in the future I could I could obviously ramble for forever about it because there are whole university level courses taught about the history of autos and the development of autos. But short version, when people in the past are talking about how this is a thing that is different from, you know, a human pushing a plow versus a horse pushing a plow, or I guess pulling a plow, horses don't usually push things. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how a, a plow works. Horses pull it. Casey, why are you nodding? You don't. Okay, maybe you know. I really. You went to a farm museum? Where? I, I lived in Arlington. I should have gone there. It's like 10 miles. Why did I ever go to? I want to go to the farm museum. Casey, take me to the farm museum. Anyway, this episode is brought to you by Tiny Oranges and the farm museum somewhere south of Arlington. Um, <laughs> we're running a really professional operation without Avi constantly glaring at me. It's really cool. So yeah, that's that's another one that's, you know, very... Um, very much of its time. Uh, there was another one I wanted to hit on. It was on this list somewhere. Oh, oh, I like this one. And we're, I'm going to, I'm going to breaking the, I'm breaking my notes here because my show notes have this out of order and I'm just, I'm just doing this whatever order I like. So another one that's breaks it a lot and I'm going to hit this one really quickly because this is one that we're going to do an episode on relatively soon because we're going to do uh kind of climate change part one and then we're going to touch on some stuff adjacent to it. So in the past, um, I'm not going to say people predicted this one because there is a difference between a prediction and an observation that necessarily involves the future. Uh, people made the observation that the industrialized world's reliance on meat and the production thereof was completely, you know, unsustainable, untenable, which is true because, you know, pigs and cows and things like to, um, you know, defecate also to do that one thing they like to eat like a whole lot like i don't know if you've ever seen a cow but eating is like one of their favorite things to do they're very big uh, also super cute like big dogs just love cows where i grew up we had several cows uh we were uh it was a dairy mostly we didn't like you know raise meat stock that would be weird anyway one of the things people predicted as a response to that um, inability to continue just gorging ourselves on massive amounts of meat was that we would, um, more often than not, the prediction was that we would turn to insects for protein. Now, in some cases, that's true. Like this morning, I had biscuits and gravy for breakfast because I'm a hick. And <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to own it. I'm kind of a hick sometimes. I had biscuits and gravy. It's a great way to start the day to tell your body, hey, why don't we just, you know, really want to take a nap before lunch anyway uh it was made with uh, cricket flour which i think tastes great i've you know i i prefer it to the regular stuff and you can still get regular flour it's out there but if you want a little high protein option and i kind of have like a cat metabolism and i like a little more protein in my diet you can get with cricket flour and it tastes just fine 
you can also get kind of more traditional synthetic meat. Um, and I guess it's not really synthetic meat if it's made with, you know, proper meat. But yeah, you can get air quotes synthetic meat made with meal. Um, you know, usually there's some bean stock in there to kind of round out the flavor, some other stuff to kind of complete the the meat mouth feel. Um, and it's pretty good. It's it's just fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Some people prefer it over uh, true synthetic meat. Uh, and of course, there is itself synthetic meat. Now, the thing about synthetic meat is that a lot of people didn't have a lot of faith in it. It was being developed um, throughout the 2010s pretty heavily. The first synthetic meat hamburger patty supposedly cost a quarter million euro in 2013, which was about the same as it cost in dollars in uh, back then money. Um, I have some problems with that number because I think there's some extra costs kind of lumped in there to make you go, whoa, that's so much. But that also doesn't sound too far from accurate because the early days of synthetic meat were very, very pricey and very, very expensive. Um, but point being, though, you had a lot of people who looked at it and went, oh, this will never become affordable. This will never be viable. And I think to make a weird comparison, I think people looked at synthetic meat the same way that people like in the mid 20th century looked at computers and said no one will ever own one of these because they're the size of a room and stupidly expensive and i i think that like i think that's ultimately pretty natural like i don't think that's something you can criticize people of the past for being wrong about um i think it's natural to look at something and say okay this has some problems that seem insurmountable in addition to the other problems that seem just very difficult because, you know, any any large multilateral problem has several problems that make it up. There are little issues that are usually, you know, problems like economies of scale or just kind of technical stuff, you know. Well, we can, we can get better at the production of this thing, sure. And then there are kind of larger problems that are kind of, um, you know, what I like to think of as like engineering problems uh, that are, are things that, you know, the solution to which is not immediately obvious, but they are... They are there to be to be done. You just have to figure out the process to to fix that problem. But there are things that look insurmountable, but that as you start working on those merely difficult problems, the insurmountable ones look a lot less so. And it was the same way with computers becoming, you know, personal computers and then cell phones and all that stuff, you know, back in the back in the turn of the century. And you had that then. And, and again, People before then would not have predicted that because, oh my gosh, they're so big. They're so expensive. They produce so much heat. You'll never make them small. Well, it turns out that as you made the big ones better, you learned how to make them smaller and faster and just generally way, way, way better. Um, and it's, I think this, no, well, I think I know the exact same thing happened with, with synthetic meat where as we got better producing it in an expensive kind of, you know, almost thought experiment sort of way of like, hey, look, we made a, a $3,000 a pound, very real tasting beef, you know, sure enough, along the way, we figured out how to make a $2,000 a pound and a $1,000 a pound and, and on and on and on and on until it was cheaper than the real thing and better for people. And, you know, you can complain about markets. There's a lot of problems with a lot of market-minded thinking. But when you give people, you know, two hamburgers and you say this one's half the price of the other one, tastes the same, and is better for you, they're going to pick the cheaper one that's not going to kill them. At least not as quickly because it's still red meat. Um, and also back then, people could not have fathomed the steak. They could not, there was no belief that we would ever make a synthetic steak except among the most diehard synthetic meat people. 
and I I looked. There is no one who was kind of dubious about synthetic meat who was like, well, they might figure out a steak. No, they were all like, it's all going to be gross hamburger patties and hot dogs. Yuckaroonie. You know, that's kids' food. And no, you can get a synth steak. And a good synth steak tastes the same as a real steak. It, it just does. So eat it, past nerds. No, we don't do that here. Casey's shaking their head at me very violently. We don't do that here. <laughs> We're nice to people in the past. <laughs> uh, speaking of computers, and we're going to wrap up on this note. Um, one of the, the predictions of the past that you see uh, a lot, and I, I I never know what to make of it, because there's a, a equal mix of utopian and horribly dystopian views on it, um, are that we would have by now developed a hyper-intelligent, not just human intelligence, but superhuman intelligence. And I, uh, I, th- I think that that kind of thinking reflects a mindset that is the same mindset as people who hoped that, you know, aliens would come down and show us, you know, how to do fusion and how to travel the stars and would just solve all of our problems for us. And, and there were a lot of people who thought that we would make a computer so fast and so smart that it would just be like, hey, what's up? I'm alive now. And because I'm super cool... I'm not going to kill everybody, and also, I'm going to fix everybody's problems and make an ideal utopian civilization. And, you know, I don't I don't think that was ever going to happen. I mean, well, clearly not, because it hasn't happened, but I, we were never on track for that. And I, I, looking back on it, I don't know how people in the past thought we were. And near as I can estimate, I think it is a fundamental misunderstanding of the problem that, you know, we were for a long time making computers exclusively better at solving specific problems. And you can make a a computer good at learning, but the problems of making a computer learn how to think on its own and grow and develop a psychology are so much more complex than just doing tasks. That's so much a, a radically different set of problems than just, you know, Hey, I want a cup of coffee learn how to make coffee or hey you know calculate the best routes to travel through this city to drop off packages um yeah it's it's just a different kind of problem and you know obviously we've we've we have people working on it now i mean we've always had people working on artificial intelligence as long as there have been computers there have been people who assume that one day we're going to make one that can think for itself but I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to say, oh, we're close to it now. A true synthetic intelligence is coming. But even now, I'm, I'm really reticent to be, you know, just super horny to say, oh, it, now, now we're on the way. Now, 50 years from now, we're going to have that intelligence. Like, eh, I, I think, who knows? There could be some aspect to it that's just beyond doing. Maybe we can't create an intelligence. And maybe that's, you know, a final confirmation of the simulation hypothesis. Maybe that's, um, you know, some limitation God put on us. Who knows? I, I, there's no way to know. Um, I think if there's anything that if you try to predict it, you're going to look silly on, it's predicting when we're going to have a true synthetic intelligence and, you know, make predictions, be hopeful, be aspirational. But when you look back at the past and you kind of study what people hope for, I would always ground your predictions in the future in an understanding of 
that they are going to be what you see as your present. Because you, you know, obviously aren't from the future. You don't know what things are going to be like. I don't know what things are going to be like. But I, I will say that if you view your future as a, a to-do list almost, and you have a pretty cool future that's really very attainable and has, yeah, some of those seemingly insurmountable problems, but maybe ones that you can figure out along the way, um, then, you're, then you've got a pretty cool list of predictions. As long as you're not coming up with whale buses, you're doing great. So yeah, now that I have uh, kind of begun to wax pseudo-philosophical and approach the dangerous precipice of a full-blown ramble, uh, I think we're going to call it here for today's episode. I thank you very much for tuning in. And again, if you are a, a first-time listener, thank you for joining us. If you're a second-time listener, I absolutely appreciate you. It's very cool to have you. Um, I look forward to you hopefully listening, listening again. It would be really cool. I have been and continue to be Oz Cohen, Joint Projects Director, coming to you from Mineral Hill, for Radio Mineral Hill. And I don't want to say goodbye, but what I will say is if you're here next time, I'll be here too. Thanks for listening. It is nice to block the doorway. It is nice to go to jail There are nicer ways to do it But the nice ways always fail It isn't nice, it isn't nice You told us once, you told us twice But if that is freedom's prize